Rosh Hashanah is a time not just of Tzfiba, but also of Hakari Tatzot. Shalom from Jerusalem and welcome back to another episode of the Quran Podcast. Um, this week we've been joined by a returning guest, uh, Rabbanit Shana Goldberg, uh, who was on the podcast almost exactly a year ago. Um, and she's joined us again to talk about how to make good decisions uh, when the future is so uncertain. She's just published her first book, What Do You Really Want? Uh, Trust and Fear in Decision Making at Life's Crossroads and in Everyday Living. So a few people have said to me, you know, this book doesn't seem like the typical uh, Magid book. Um, it's not a study of a book of Tanakh or a uh, classic work of modern Orthodox thought or you know, another typical Magid book you might find, but rather a book more focused on um, self-improvement um, helping to think about how we make decisions, having trust in the decisions that we make. Um, and I think all, why it is important is that there's definitely um, a space for a, a Jewish view on this, especially as we go into a time of year like we're in now, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, where we are thinking about what do we really want for the year ahead and how do we reflect on the decisions we've made um, in the past year. I think a book like Shana's is so important um, for helping us to kind of organize our thoughts on that and to focus in the year to come, which is why it was just a really great opportunity um, to bring uh, Rabinette Goldberg back onto the podcast and discuss these points with her. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Um, I think, you know, there's, as we'll read in a few weeks uh, on, on Sukkot, you know, there's, there's a time for everything under the sun. Um, and, you know, Margaret published some fantastic books, but I think there's always space uh, for something that provokes introspection and uh, provokes us to you know, take stock and to, to look at our lives and what we've achieved, what we haven't achieved yet, uh, and, and what we want to do for the future. It really was amazing speaking to uh, Shana again. Um, and so here we go. We are delighted to welcome again Rabbanit Shana Goldberg to the Quorum Podcast. Uh, Shana, thank you so much for joining us again on the Quorum Podcast. Thank you so much for having me back here. So uh, we're coming up towards Rosh Hashanah. There's lots on everyone's minds. Um, we wanted to have a chance to uh, discuss a few uh, ideas, some connected um, to your recent book, uh, What Do You Really Want? Um, and others, just an opportunity to kind of focus and, and have, you know, that could inspire for the coming year. Just, I guess, looking back, um, it's been an uncertain year. Um, and I guess no one also really knows what to expect for the coming year. What, what what are you sort of thinking about yourself and what can people think about going into the coming year with that uncertainty ahead of us? Yeah, I think uncertainty is that word that we've all been living with right, for the past, what's about to be a year and a half ever since uh, this pandemic broke out. But I think it's something we always live with. Maybe we're feeling it more when it's so uh, in front of us every moment. But um, the other night, even, I think these past few days, these past few weeks, there's been so many events in the world that touch on uncertainty, right? those fires in Israel, the takeover in Afghanistan, events in the U.S. Um, you guys are Brits, but coming from the U.S. and having just spent some time there this summer, sometimes it just feels like, well, this country that I grew up in and things seem to be shifting and changing and imploding almost and I went to sleep the other night with such a feeling of anxiety or I say I didn't go to sleep. I was lying in bed, tossing and turning. 
And um, as I was having trouble falling asleep, I found myself thinking about a passage that I read a few years ago in Rav Salavichik, where he speaks about the tefillah that we say on Rosh Hashanah, May we ask Hashem to cast his fear over all of his creation, that we ask Hashem to, to put his his yira, his his awe, his fear over us. And Rasal Vichik speaks there about how a psychiatrist once asked him, isn't fear the root of all evil, right? Even in the book, I talk about how we want to be living with trust and not not be living with fear. Why would we be asking Hashem to cast his fear over us? And Rav Salavichik mentions there that he thinks that the fear that we're talking about is the, the fear of Hashem, really the trust in Hashem, that at the end of the day, Hashem is in control. And even though all the normal human fears that overtake us of parnasa, right, and poverty and failure and disease and rejection and all the things that we struggle with, if we're able to focus on that one major fear of the pachad of Hashem, or really girad Hashem, and kind of give in to that place of um, uncertainty in the sense that Hashem has our back, He has us covered, He's running the show, then that enables us to turn our attention to our circle of influence and the things that we can control, which I think at least gave me, and it's not an easy thing. We're always struggling to maintain that balance in our life of like what we're in control of and what we're not in control of. Um, But I think cutting into Rosh Hashanah, we're more aware than ever of how much is out of our control and being able to give into that a little bit, lean into it and embrace that enables us, I think, to then regain control in other areas of our life. I love that idea of like embracing the fear or the awe of Hashem um, and then sort of using that to take control of what we value. Um, Something that sort of strikes me time and time again um, in the... Amida of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is Uvachain Ten Pachtacha that it sort of builds on itself. If you start at the beginning, you know, it's the, the regular formula uh, with a couple of additions of the Amida. Um, you know, it starts with the Shevach, with the praise of God, sort of before we go into asking for anything. Um, and then all of a sudden, sort of it shifts, it changes, Uvachain Ten Pachtacha, and then it goes Uvachain Ten Kavod. Um, and then v'chein tzadikim yiruvis mechu. That sort of if once you, uh, you you we're effectively asking God to sort of uh, give us that sense of understanding, sort of the, the, the fear of Him of giving over control, uh, so that we can sort of take charge again, as you say. Um, and then once we're able to do that, um, you know, we're able to uh, have honor, have respect, whatever whatever that is, um, for ourselves, for each other, for the Torah, for mitzvah. Um, and then of Chayin Tzadikim that Yeruvis Muchu that sort of at that point um, we sort of open ourselves up to to righteousness that we're able to sort of truly celebrate in uh, you know what life is all about. Um, so I, so I really like sort of the way you put it from from Rav Soloveitchik that it's um, you know this this giving into fear. It's, it's not like a real fear in terms of like phobia, but it's um, you know giving over control. And because of that, being able to assess your values, being able to assess, uh, you know, your life and, and, and what you need. Um, um, and so, like, I think if we view it as 
an opportunity, certainly the Amidah, but if Rosh Hashanah in general is a chance to sort of step back and to reassess things um, and to try and de- see things from a different perspective, um, it, sort of, it gets me thinking um, that, you know, La Havdel um, in the non-Jewish world, you know, at the end of December, people will start making New Year's resolutions, be they sort of their, their personal life, their professional life, their physical health, whatever it is, you know, people are making resolutions of things they want to try and achieve for the next year. And it seems on the surface, at least, like, you know, New Year's resolutions is not necessarily a Jewish ideal, but of course it is, you know, that in, in Elul, starting with Slichat, going into Rosh Hashanah, going into Yom Kippur, that we are uh, constantly trying to think about sort of the year ahead um, and what our values are, what we, what we should be doing. Um, I mean, is that something that you try and convey to your students? How how do you convey that to your students? And especially in terms of the decision-making process, when people come here for their Shana Ba'aret or people, you know, adults that you're teaching, um, how do you give across that uh, that sense of sort of decision making and, and uh, deciding what our values are? So first of all, I really like what you said about the the the, the three because it really sets the groundwork. And I I think that once we're able to kind of put aside or like leave it to God, the things that are in His control, right? Or in, in um the seven habits of highly effective people. He also, Stephen Covey also speaks about what's in our circle of influence and what's in our circle of control and what's outside of it and how often we spend so much time thinking about things that we really can't affect and we can't. So when we leave that to God, then we're more able to think about the kinds of things that we are able to um, make a difference in and you know, talk about resolutions. Or I, I like to frame it in terms of values. Because oftentimes when people make a resolution, right, I'm going to lose this much weight this year, or I'm going to exercise, or I'm going to be a better mother, or I'm going to learn more Torah, or I'm going to dive in three times a day. So it becomes this very, very concrete marker that even either they're hitting it or they're not hitting it. And then if they're not hitting it, so then despair usually sets in quickly and you just give up. And I think when we return to core values, and this is something I like to speak a lot about with my students, and it's something I talk to my children about and in my own life, core values are very grounding, right? Instead of starting from the place of like what your aspiration is, let's start from the place of the foundation. What is my value, right? So I could have a value of tefillah, I could have a value of uh, the place of Shabbat in my life. I could have the value of doing chesed. I could have the value of what is my connection to Eretz Yisrael, to Medina Yisrael. Uh, what's my commitment to halacha? I could have human values that aren't necessarily Jewish. They're human. How do I handle my frustration when I'm really angry? How do I talk to people with respect? Um, what kind of involvement do I want in my community? All kinds of values. And I think that uh, values are something that should stay with us throughout life, no matter what's going on around us, no matter how uncertain our circumstances are, right, or where we find ourselves. Meaning if tefillah is a value in my life, it should be a value in my life when I'm 18 and in yeshiva or in my shana ba'aretz, when I'm in college and things are busier, when I'm a, a, a mother or a father, when I'm a child, meaning it's, it's an underlying value. And I think First, um, when people are thinking about how to move forward in a chuva process or uh, resolution, so to speak, I think taking a moment to actually think about or even write down what are the values that are core to who I am? What do I really, really care about in life? What's really important? What do I want to be at the center of who I am? And then instead of thinking of 
what your top aspiration is, I would start with the bottom non-negotiable level, right? Meaning if tefillah is, is important to me, then at the very least, it should mean X. At the very least, it should mean, and for everyone, that X is going to be different, right? That X could be, at the very least, it means I should have a conversation with Hashem once a day. For someone else, it could be, at the very least, I, I, I go to Minyan once a day. For someone else, it could be, at the very least, I daven three times a day. But that's still not the top aspiration in terms of how much kavana they want to have or how much time they want to give their tefillah or all kinds of things. But the very least, it's something non-negotiable that no matter what's going on, if this value is important to me, it should manifest itself in that in that way, meaning a bottom line. And after that, then as circumstances evolve and change, you could always be thinking about how to adapt the value to the current circumstance. I think that gives something constant and consistent and very grounding to people in their lives, especially when things are so uncertain, right? And one day we find ourselves without a shul. And right, if, if, if your value was, I have to go to shul, the value is not shul, the value is tefillah. So now what does tefillah mean when I can't go to shul, either because of corona or because I'm a mother with two little children at home and I used to be, you know, at Minyan when shul started and now I have to think about what tefillah means for me on Rosh Hashanah when I'm not in shul. But if your value is something that remains consistent, then you could always be thinking about how to adapt it in your current environment, your current circumstances. Uh, I like to work with that. Sorry, Shana, go. No, I, I just I like to work with that because resolution sometimes, um, as we know, people people make them and they easily fall aside when you feel like you're not hitting it. You mentioned this a little bit before, but I wanted to ask how how do you think to fill out itself is a tool for building those core values and focusing on goals that we are building and developing for the year ahead? Absolutely, in the sense that Shiva is a time, hopefully, of quiet introspection and, and reflection and and uh, a pause in the craziness of our lives. So whether your tefillah gets a half hour or it gets 10 minutes in between, you know, getting your kids out to school in the morning, still the ability to kind of say um, there's more in life than just the everyday hustle and bustle, but I kind of, I speak to a higher power, I'm in conversation, I'm, I'm answering to something greater than me. I think it refocuses us. For sure, we say that is what Mincha is all about. That Mincha is in the middle of the day, it's a reminder that maybe it's easier to dive in in the morning first thing when you wake up or RV before you go to sleep, but Mincha is that challenge of in the middle of the day when I'm in the office or I'm busy at work or I'm busy at home, can I take the opportunity to remember that there's a God in my life that is important for me to check in with and, and connect with and be in conversation uh, with. And, and I like to think about, and I tell my students this also, that um, to me, talking to God is about remembering that you're in a relationship, right? The same way that I try to speak to my parents every day. I try to talk to my sisters every day, not because every day I need to speak to them. And sometimes we could speak for an hour and sometimes it's just like, Hey, how are you checking in? Everything's okay. Right. To keep that relationship going to maintain that connection so that when you do feel a bigger need or you do feel more disconnected, you know, that that connection is in place. 
And I think daily tefillah is like that, keeps you going. And then on the Yom Noraim, it's like that major conversation that maybe happens, you know, when you meet up with an old friend that you WhatsApp, and, but now you're going out for coffee and you're sitting down with for a few hours. Like I, I, I like the idea that sort of tefillah is, is like an opportunity to sort of check in with, with Hashem and, and yourself as well. Like it's an, an opportunity for cheshman uh, nefesh I suppose, like just introspection and... and you know, you mentioned you were talking about um, like your core values and like how does that value apply and, and how does it manifest in sort of daily life and like to feel like being an opportunity to like stop, like, <clears throat> like literally stop and, and and sort of reassess. I mean, what do you have any tips? I, tips might be the wrong word, but of, of once you've made those decisions, once you've decided like I, I want like value X to manifest in, in uh, you know, in in such and such a way um how how do we ensure that that uh is manageable that we're, we're able to um you know like achieve our goals achieve achieve our, our sort of targets and, and reach our resolutions yeah <laughs> or do you have none i mean is it is it it's a great question. I mean, that's that's what we all struggle with, like living up to um, the goals that we set for ourselves, right? That's that's where it gets hard. Like having the goal or having the aspiration is one step, and and we hope people have goals and aspirations, and they're not just content, you know, with the the status quo, but they're always looking to grow and to aspire to something more. But how do you actually get there? Um, two things that pop into my head, you know, right now, one is, is I think that again, when we think about big picture, it's overwhelming and it's like, how am I going to do that? But when you break it up into much smaller increments and, and in the book, I, I do talk a lot about how decision-making comes down to making the best next decision. And I do think that when you focus on the best next decision, it, it gets a lot easier, right? When I say, hey, I want, okay, I want to lose this much weight or I want to be healthier or so that it's like, uh, it's, it's it's big, it's gadolali, it's like a little much. But when I'm standing in front of the cabinet and I'm like, okay, should I go for that, you know, cookie that I really want and will give me that, that quick boost because I'm exhausted, I need the sugar or should I open up the fridge and, and take the grapes? So then I could in that moment say, okay, the grapes are the better choice for me than the cookie okay as an example right or whatever it is that we're struggling with I, I think it's nice to have that big goal somewhere in your head of where you're headed but at the end of the day it comes down to one decision after another and in conversations often with people who are regretting um how they got to a certain place and they say i don't know how i got here i know what happened so it's usually like, well, you made this decision and then this decision and then this decision. And it's not such a surprise when you look back at every little decision and you realize that one thing led to another and they got here. But it's kind of like when there's a lack of ability to take ownership about every little decision that's made along the way, I think that's when people find themselves in places that um, make them uncomfortable. If we break it down to the smaller things, it gets easier. And, you know, recently this year, a few months ago, I read the book, The Choice. I don't know if you've heard, you have read that book by uh, Dr. Edith Egger. Uh, she's a psychologist and she's a Holocaust survivor. And she also, she focuses heavily on the work of Dr. Viktor Frankl, 
who writes um, Man's Search for Meaning, which is a longtime favorite of mine. But both of them speak about that idea that between any stimulus and response, there's a space. Now, again, our lives are so, um, they're so busy and we move at such a quick pace that sometimes just taking that breath and realizing, okay, my kid is having a tantrum. And like, instead of me lashing out at them, like if I just stop in that space for a second and think about how I want to respond, what's going to bring them down, what's going to help, that space, Victor Frankl speaks about, in that space lies our power, you know, lies our, lies our growth and our freedom. And if we think about those little spaces instead of the big picture, I think that's my tip for myself of how I end the day and say, oh, okay, you know, I, I did I'm not, I'm not 10 for 10, but like I made, you know, a bunch of good decisions. I didn't make them all. I messed up some of them. I failed in some of them, but um, I think it's a better success rate than when we're thinking about those big goals. I think definitely the, there's definitely, I think something comforting about the fact that even when, certain outcomes let's say come about that are things that are out of your control um if you know that you know in those decisions that you made one at a time you made the right decision at the time it's it it it, it makes the outcome even if it's not what you were expecting or hoping for easier to deal with because you know look at least i made the right decision at the time a hundred percent outcomes are out of our control even if you make one good decision after another there's so many things that could affect the outcome that we don't have control over, right? Starting from the weather to, uh, you know, world events to all kinds of things to the other people in our lives that we don't, I could plan the perfect outing for my children, but if my children, I can't control them and their moods. So if they're not up for it, it doesn't matter if I planned everything perfectly and I thought I was being super mom and whatever, you know, and, and then it's like, okay, but I, I could feel good about the decisions that I made. And I do think that there, there is um, uh, a to be made, you know, that can make that distinction between process and outcome. And if we feel good about the process and we know that the outcome's not always in our control, we could at least feel good that we um, you know, could look back on the decisions that we made and feel like we made good decisions, even if something happened that we didn't anticipate. Yeah, actually, I think that's really important. I, I remember having this conversation with my father-in-law two or three years ago now um, in the build-up to Yom Kippur. And we were discussing how are you supposed to feel sort of after Yom Kippur ends? How are you supposed to feel after Nila? What does Motzei Yom Kippur look like? When the fast ends, like, what are you supposed to be thinking? What are you supposed to be feeling? And sort of, we just, like, I, I said to him, like, I always feel, um, like I want to feel rather, it's not I do feel, I want to feel as if I've done everything. I want to feel as if I have like poured out my heart and I've, I've like prayed as hard as I can and you know, and like really done everything I could um, to do Teshuva, let's say. Um, but like, like he sort of pointed out like you can't, like that's great, but like there's, how do you know you've done that? You don't know you've done that. But I think like what you're saying now is, is, is exactly the point. Like as long as you you have made all those right decisions, as long as you've like thought all, thought and said all the things you want to think and say over the course of the day, um, on Yom Kippur or just in life, that you've made all those right decisions, those right choices, then yeah. there's nothing else you can do. Like it's it's not it isn't up to us. Um, very much like as long as you have done 
you've done the most like you've done as much so it doesn't always can. feel right you know it doesn't always feel good in the sense um my husband Judah is an emergency room doctor and he ended up needing to work a shift this week that had not been on his schedule because someone at last minute couldn't make it and they asked him to come in and he said to me afterwards that like he kind of had anticipated spending that night like focusing on chuva thoughts and like you know like doing a little kind of work in a very concrete way and then he found himself in the emergency room at Charit Sadek and we were talking about like really you know we hope I think that when God looks down at us he's like that's where you were supposed to be like you know saving lives helping people or whatever but you're like no but I just wanted to be like going over the toilet in the master or doing chuva whatever that means but that was for sure the right decision that's where he should have been and that's but it, it, sometimes we have ideas in our head of what the perfect Yom Kippur looks like right or what it means and you're like perfect Yom Kippur means being in shul from seven in the morning until the fast is out and what am I doing here at home watching crazy kids who are fighting with each other and and you're like okay but my avulda right now and Yom Kippur is to not lose my temper and to be a good mother for these children and to, but it doesn't feel like I just had a meaningful Yom Kippur doesn't feel like that but when I think back to okay but did I make the best decisions that I could with the things that were thrown my way that I may not have wanted or anticipated or are just part of life so I think it does help us um, refocus on that now I'll add in something else that I think is helpful for me as we approach this time of year of tshuva and so often especially right when you take out that Yom Kippur Mahsar and you go over that list of al and you're like uh okay um that one and that one and that one I think I'm I I could I could think of ways in which all of these especially the article has you know takes the version sorry to mention article on a current podcast but in my youth especially in America, I use the article master and they have in the back a description of how you could apply like each alfred in a very real, I didn't do gila or rayot, thank God, but how could that apply in, in my life also? And you're like, wow, there's so much to work on here, so much. And sometimes I'll take out the master and like a list that I wrote up last year will come out, fall out. And, and you're like, it's, it, I could have written this use this year. Has anything changed between last year and this year? Have I advanced in any way? Have I improved? And then every once in a while, you come across something. You want to call it, you know, um, going back to resolutions, like something that you said that you are going to try to be better in, where you look at last year's list or list from two years ago, and you're like, I really have made some improvement in that area right I really I really am in a different place and that reminds us that it's really possible it's really possible I like to begin every year in Migdalus with the Benod Kul American students by talking about the month of Elul is so overwhelming everyone's talking about what they could change what they could do better what needs improvement let's stop for a minute and share something that you feel like you really have changed for the positive in the last year why? Because it's reminded to ourselves and to the people around us that we actually are capable of that, right? Hashem tells us, we're going to read that in Mitzavim. Every year we read that right before Rosh Hashanah. Hashem tells us, it's possible, it's doable. When you think, this is beyond me, I can't do it, right? Then, then it's so easy to throw up your hands and not take responsibility. But when you realize, hey, I really did move from point A to point B, maybe I still want to 
get a few points, but but I'm I'm moving and I'm um I'm, I'm growing and and this is the technique that I used. And I like to ask my students to share the techniques that they used in their growth, right? Because everybody has different ways that they um are able to encourage themselves to do true then it's very interesting over the years i've heard so many different interesting things from my students that i've been able to take home and apply in my own life or share with my children of different methods that have helped them change their midode or change their perspectives so then you realize hey if it's possible for me in that area maybe it's possible for me in another area if it was possible for her or for him so i'm not so different from them i could do it too and i think focusing sometimes on the positive is empowering as opposed to focusing on everything that's lacking and all the work we need to do often leads people to despair and maybe um, not realize how much potential there really is for change. Yeah, it's, it's, it's okay that you mentioned the art scroll master. Uh, we can just edit it out. Just edit <laughs> out. Um, no, I mean, you mentioned that list as well, as in also growing up. You no, know, use the art scroll master. It, it was what was available, um, and that list at the back, based on Rav Dessler, is very good. There, there is also one in the back of the Koran master, um, which is all of Rav, Rabbi yes. Sachs's uh, own using, which is also very, very helpful. Not to, not there's competition, but people should know that there, it, there's it's options, in both. Not, not, there's options, not competition. <laughs> um, growing up in, in in our house, we sort of always had apple and honey, and we had you know first fruit. We, but um, something that's become more maybe more popular or more found, especially in Israel, is doing like a whole Rosh Hashanah Seder. Um, just, I guess, homing in a bit on Rosh Hashanah as we're now a couple of weeks away. Um, how do you think that the different um, minhagim that people do on Rosh Hashanah night as a family are a good way of starting those conversations, starting those thoughts together as a family of what the coming year is going to look like? So we also in my house growing up did the apple and honey and we did the ringon, but that was it. Um, and over the years, my sister is more into the simanim and when we've had Rosh Hashanah with her, so we've done them where we kind of uh, enjoy sometimes making up our own, you know, you take your own little play on words of some food on your table or some. I think the simanim are, are great in that sense of honing in on those um different aspects of, of what we are hoping and anticipating for, right? If someone gives a bracha so that all our enemies should be destroyed, so then we're thinking about that aspect of the world or whatever when we're, when we're saying Sheikh Yanu, so we're thinking about what does it mean? Something very powerful every year in the Lunchfoot is um, Rav Herzl Rosenberg, the husband of um, Rabbi Nid S.T. Rosenberg, the Rosh Bateman Josh and so he was the Gabe for a few years in Alunshret, in, uh, right? and he would get up every year in Rosh Hashanah night, and he would say, we're about to go home, and to make the bracha of Shechayanu that we make, you know, um, at the beginning of the Rosh Hashanah meal, or that we say on the new fruits, and, and he said, let's stop for a minute and reflect with our families that Shechayanu v'kimanu v'giyanu l'zman hazeh, if we're here to celebrate another Rosh Hashanah together, it means that we have to have a card Hatov and thank Hashem that we were Nechtam Nechayim last year, that we were um, sealed in for, sorry, I'm getting emotional, but that we were sealed in for 
for life um, when we look around us, especially we know so many people that weren't. And I think even taking those opportunities together with our families and our children to not just like say the bracha and, you know, move on quickly, but to, for each shiman or for each thing that we reflect on to, to think for a minute, what are we really saying and what does that really mean? And what do we really want? And Rosh Hashanah is a time not just of tefillah, but also of um, And that was his point, that before we move into the bakashot, um, and Alex, this goes back to what you were saying about, you know, easing into tefillah and starting, we start every Shemona Esrei with the Shavach before we get into the bakashat part. And just the Shavach that we have to Hashem for all the things that we so often take for granted in our lives, that we're sitting down with family, that we have food on our table, that um, that we have our health, if we have our health, that we have the relationships that we do. And for me, Rosh Hashanah is often a time where I think about, maybe because we're talking so much about the the tiva, the chayim, right? And nechiel, miyambud, and we reflect back on, on the year, but also about how quickly things could change. And I know um, for me, for sure, Rosh Hashanah time coincides with um, very powerful and strong memories of 9-11, which were coming up on the 20th anniversary, which is hard for me to believe. But I, I was in GPATS, like the graduate program in the vast Talmudic studies that is in Stern College on that morning. And it happened to be that the night before I had slept at home because I had a wedding on September 10th and I slept um, at home in Great Neck and I took the Long Island Railroad with my friend who had come to the wedding with me and slept over. And we were saying Slichot on the train. It was it was a week before Rosh Hashanah and we were saying Slichot on the train. And then I was going to go off to Stern and she was going to go off to Columbia where she was in school. And she asked if she could borrow my Slichot. And she said, I'll return it to you tonight in Washington Heights. And she did return it to me. We met on the street in the Heights that night. And in those hours in between, like the entire world had changed. And it was a beautiful, I remember walking to Stern. It was a beautiful, I remember even thinking, wow, it's such a gorgeous day. It was a clear sky. It was like beautiful September morning in the city. And um, I think taking the time to reflect with our children, especially about how like every moment that we have is a bracha, even with, the challenges and the different things that we have, every moment that we have is a bracha and, and appreciating that and saying shechiyana with kavana, you know, and I guess get emotional because we, we say shechiyana like we just, shechiyana v'kimana v'yen levanazem means that Hashem has given me life and he's brought me to this day and he's allowed me to be here. And even that, um, I think most everyone does that, even if they don't do all the simanim, I think is a great opportunity for conversation about Hakarat Hatov in our lives, who we have thanks for, and the responsibility of when you have so many wonderful, positive things in your life, what you want to do with that, what the opportunity that Hashem has provided us means in terms of the responsibility that we have to take that and give back to the world um, from the bracha that we have. I was going to ask another question, but I think to, to ask anything else would be a disservice to to that point uh, and to the podcast and to you in, in in general. So I think, you know, you, you were on the podcast this time last year. Um, you're here again now, and, and please God, we'll be able to record another podcast together next year, apart from hopefully many more conversations and, and uh, 
opportunities for, for Kizuk and inspiration. Um, so on behalf of myself and Arie and, and all of our listeners, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I've certainly, you know, you're talking about you know, how the world changes and I think in the last sort of 30, 40 minutes, my perspective has changed several times based on things you said. So thank you so, so much. Um, and you know, to wish you a Shana Tova <coughs> and to all of our listeners as well. Um, and please God be able to talk to you again in the new year. Thank you. I, I, it's it's a pleasure to be here. And if I could just add in one closing thought, which is very, very Rosh Hashanah specific, but Rav Salvechuk talks about the shofar. And I think so many of us, we've heard the shofar when we were kids. So hard to reframe the shofar as an adult. But Rav Salvechuk talks about how the role of the shofar is really to jolt us out of our illusions and my kind of bring us back to reality. And it just reminded me of what you just said, Alex, because you said, you know, our perspectives change. And 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 sometimes in Elul and Rosh Hashanah, we just need that little, like, kind of kick in the pants of, like, oh, maybe I'm not who I think I am. Maybe I could do better. Maybe. And the chauffeur is supposed to kind of, well, wake us up and um, recalibrate us and refocus uh, our attentions on who we want to be, on what's meaningful to us, on what we're looking for out of the year, on what is most important to us and where our commitment should lie and where our efforts should be. And I think those small decisions and that focus on the everyday and how could I be the best person I could be in the moment is what will help us get there. So wishing both of you and all the listeners Shana Tovah and well, that's all for this special pre-Rosh Hashanah episode of the Quran Podcast. Alex, if people would like to get in touch with us, how can they do so? They can reach us uh, via email, podcast at quarantpub.com or on social media at Quran Publishers. Um, also check out our website, www.quarantpub.com, where you can get a discount on your next order, um, 10% off everything with promo code podcast at checkout. So make sure you, uh, you go there. Uh, you can get Shana's book. Um, what do you really want? Uh, there's also time to get Machlarim or books for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Um, so please do head over there now. We'll be back in a couple of weeks' time uh, with an episode for Yom Kippur as well. Um, but until then, Shana Tova, and thank you for listening to the Koran Podcast. <laughs>